0: Welcome to the New Health Club podcast. Psychedelics are experiencing a renaissance, developing into a tool to help us go through life. But what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin and MDMA or ketamine are exactly doing for our mental health, personal progress and optimization? Will they change our lifestyles and lives forever? I'm sure they will. On the new Health Club podcast, I talk to real innovators, thought leaders and disruptors from the emerging world of psychedelics. So please listen and enjoy. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. We hope you're safe and well. Today I talked to Lars-Christian Wilde, the president and co-founder at Compass Pathways in London. Compass Pathways is a mental health care company, a company that's dedicated to accelerate patients' access to evidence-based innovation in mental health. Compass is currently researching how psilocybin therapy could help people with treatment-resistant depression. I did the podcast with Lars at one of the first days of everybody's new Zoom and FaceTime live. We are slowly getting there now, like everybody, and we're happy to see that even Jimmy Kimmel is broadcasting from home in a suit, whereas I am spending my days in a Lululemon yoga pants. Lars and I talked about the new investor business of magic mushrooms or psilocybin and why psilocybin-infused gummy bears won't be the future. We talk about why we can see comic characters in a psilocybin treatment and why we might use this as a creative source soon. But of course, we also talk about the current corona crisis. So will we ever come back from our OCD handwashing that is saving us right now? And might the crisis now lead to a light PTSD for everyone and brings out mental health topics that we are already carrying in ourselves? Lars is also explaining to me a possible vaccine for mental health disorders that we might have in a few years and that might be useful in a situation that we are experiencing now. So we have a few things covered for you in such wild times. And now over to Lars. First of all, everybody talks about the crisis, but before we talk about the crisis, it would be great if you could introduce yourself to our listeners at the New Health Club.
1: Great, I'd love to. Yeah, I think uh, where do I best start? I think I do it chronologically. So I'm Lars. Um, I'm German, as people will realize from my accent, and um, I um, have a background in business, um, I went to business school and then uh, worked as an investor in uh, healthcare investing, was involved in um, building um, Viva Neo, which is a German, and, uh, actually it's now a cross-continental a group of in metro fertilization clinics, mm-hmm. and wow. um, then became a serial entrepreneur and started several companies in tech and e-commerce, uh, one of those companies I ran as the founding CEO and when a couple of things in my private life went south and um, a good friend of mine very unexpectedly um, died, mm-hmm. who I was working with in my company, um, I developed a severe anxiety disorder first. Then I called a friend and asked him to, what, what should I do? I'm running a company with 120 people. I can't <laughs> be panicking all the time.
0: Wow. And yeah.
1: uh, he, he put me on um, an SSRI, Um, And I think in hindsight, the SSRI actually triggered an episode of depression. Wow. Okay. um, Again, I picked up my phone, called my friend, and I was put on a tricyclic, uh, which is still fairly widely prescribed in psychiatry. And I feel that for most patients, it shouldn't be. And uh, I gained 20 kilograms of weight. I felt dumber than I usually do <laughs> and,
0: uh, <laughs> well it's didn't not funny though right? <laughs> have
1: my cognitive abilities and really I felt muted um, mm-hmm. so I, I, I sensed that in the background there was still the uh, lingering anxiety the depression but um, my emotional status both positive and negative was basically gone so I was indifferent uh, to everything and so I battled with that for um, a year mm-hmm. um, and then um, decided that I had to leave the company that I had started because everything there reminded me of, of the friend uh, that I had lost um, who, who worked there with me. And so I informed my board of directors and my um, investors. And I was very upright because I felt that it's important that people speak out about mental health uh, issues. And I felt that, especially in Germany, that is still highly stigmatized despite the fact that in my own company I had several people that suffered from what we in Germany call very heroically burnout which just Mm -hmm. is severe major depressive disorder and so um, I was very happy to see how much uh, compassion um, I received from my investors and um, Christian Angermeyer, who you also know, and who was in one of your earlier podcasts is uh, first, one of my actually. closest friends. And, uh, <laughs> he has been uh, an investor in the first company that I started and he reached out to me and said, Hey Lars, sorry to hear about you, but, um, are you aware of psilocybin? And I didn't know the word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to look it up actually and realized it's the active ingredient in magic mushrooms and, um, I you know at that time I was battling with anxiety disorder so the last thing I wanted to do is some do something that's frightening <laughs> and um, I came across the uh, amazing research from UCLA, Hopkins, NYU, Imperial and um, I realized that the cryosilencing seemed to be physically safe and I also understood the arguments that the researchers made why they saw such strong efficacy in the signal generating studies that they had conducted. And to cut a long story short, I then called Christian again and said, Hey Christian, you know, this all sounds too good to be true. Uh, how, you know, what do you know? And he said, well, I can help you to have a high dose psilocybin mushroom experience. And, uh, that I did. And I went into this experience, um, still having panic attacks and anxiety and depression. And, um, within six hours I came out of that experience and, the anxiety was gone the depression was gone the ruminatory thinking was gone and um yeah i was just blown away by how powerful the experience was and the effects of it and um, i kept getting better for a week until i really plateaued in what i can only describe as a state of euphoria i felt plugged in again i wanted to do things and I thought about, you know, should I return to the company that I've started and started. And um, I realized, you know, they were better off without me. Uh, the <laughs> other companies were too. And so I needed to figure out what to do next. And um, I was really intrigued by this because then after that experience, I dug really deep into the research. And I realized um, how much work had been done after uh, Sandoz, Novartis discovered LSD and, and later synthesized psilocybin and um, that 40,000... Patients um, in the 50s and 60s and even seventies had been uh, treated with those substances. And um most studies yielded really strong results. And so I and at that point I realized, you know, it was not only a luck it was only not only a lucky coincidence that I got better, but that there must be others that would benefit from that. And my first inclination was to go to the Netherlands and start a group of um mental health care clinics and then treat people that don't respond with uh with a natural product, let's say. Um, and uh, that is a neat business model, but it doesn't scale to the global need of mm-hmm. uh, depression. And through lucky coincidence, again, I was introduced through a Christian to my co-founders Katja and George mm-hmm. um, in London and realized that uh, we share very similar uh, stories um, and that they had been on this path for a couple of years earlier already looking at funding academic research Um, they had started their own nonprofit and started donating their money to uh, clinical research uh, or sorry to academic research and realized Mm -hmm. that um, there needed to be a path to patients in terms of academic research uh, clinical research and so um, I realized that they um, had done a lot of the important hard work to talk to regulators and understand what it takes to develop this as a Um, therapy really and get approval globally and um, that's when I joined uh, them. We uh, started Compass as a for-profit entity because we realized that it would take hundreds of millions to run the late-stage clinical trials, the commercial build out the therapist training um, and everything that goes with it and um, yeah, three years later, we're in the midst of our phase to B program in uh, treating this depression in North America and Europe. We have completed the largest controlled psilocybin study done to date um, at King's College London where we mm-hmm. looked at cognition um, and we're planning to expand our portfolio into um, other indications where we believe that the underlying mechanisms of mental health suffering are the same. Um, what do I do at Compass? Um co-founder, president, and chief business officer. I um, have spent a lot of time looking at making sure the company is uh, well-funded to do all the uh, necessary work. Um, I spend a lot of time um, on building the organization, and I look at uh, strategic initiatives of where we can and have to take the company next because, obviously, this is not just another pill that people take twice Mm -hmm. a day or three times a day uh this is an uh it's an intervention so to say in in people's lives which um happen very which should happen very infrequently if they work well and so um to think about what is the model behind this is a big part of of my job
0: so it is kind of i mean I remember like you guys were the first company that was in the media for this that to create real medication that is basically coming out of psilocybin right i mean you you could say that. So, and I mean, of course, like the big topic since then, I feel, and I've been to this conference in New York where just, there seemed to be like two, the Horizons conference, two kind of, um, sides that one, one side would say, no, there always has to be like a mystical experience related to taking psilocybin or LSD. And, uh, that's why that side would say, okay, it can't be a medication because, you would not have that, actually. So which, of course, means immediately that, like you say, a lot of people could never do this because nobody can just... I mean, not everybody who would need this could go to a fancy place and just um, spend, like, three weeks on psilocybin. Not everybody can do this, actually. So what do you say? I mean, what is your main um, kind of yeah argument if people say, well, what you guys are doing is, like taking away the psychedelic experience. Well,
1: I think that is, uh, I, I, we've been confronted with that argument oftentimes, but that is clearly not what we're doing because we, we firmly believe that the psychedelic experience is contributing to the uh, beneficial effects of psilocybin therapy. Um, when you look at the mechanism of action, um, as it has been um, investigated by, for example, the University of Zurich and Imperial Mm -hmm. College London, there seems to be a very strong correlation between the downregulation of the default mode network um, and the um, duration of the antidepressant effects of psilocybin therapy. And that downregulation of the default mode network correlates very highly (laughs) with the mystical experience. So I think it's very hard to take the so-called mystical experience out of the Uh, experience in general, I think how we think about it is that we are a mental health care company, and it happens to be that psilocybin seems to, for us, to be the most promising technology at the moment to develop for patients to make them get better. However, we don't go into the therapy with expecting a certain experience for patients. We believe that whatever experience shows up for the patient is exactly the right experience for the patient to work through, and then also our therapy model is designed to help patients to integrate exactly their experience without telling them that they you know need to see the light or whatever comes up for them because frankly for some people they process trauma, for other people they have a blissful experience where they feel one with the universe for six hours and again others just work through their relationships and realize what relationships serve them and which relationships don't and then afterwards the big questions what does it mean for their lives specifically and how do they integrate that and Make the necessary changes to hopefully stay out of depression and um, stay in a state of mental world.
0: Well, there's going to be a new another Netflix thing now called Have a Good Trip, like celebrities talking about their um, psychedelic experiences, but not you don't see them. You see like comic characters. I uh-huh. just i can't wait for this actually. Because I thought like when I did this um my treatment in, in um synthesis in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. I saw like I feel like I saw five million comic characters. Like from starting from Peter Pan, like basically Tinkerbell, to Ariel, like the mermaid. And I mean and a lot of people that I talked to so yeah, I have this too. I saw this weird many Mickey Mouses in a very different Kind of costume, so right. I mean, this this I find this very interesting. That psilocybin obviously has a very, um, also like a very strong creative power to just okay. bring out other. I mean, LSD has a certain other quality, but I find psilocybin has almost like you could almost shoot like twenty movies or maybe even more after just having an experience. Right. So why why is that? Why is it such a creative? State of mind, actually. What do you think? Yeah, think
1: so, so the uh, probably the scientific answer, and uh, I'm mindful I'm not a scientist. So I'm butchering what uh, yeah. our esteemed academic colleagues would say. If I think in terms of Robin Card Harris's work at
0: mm-hmm.
1: Imperial College London, I think what they observed is that um, the default mode network, which um, is kind of the master. Organizing principle between the different brain areas is downregulated, which allows for increased communication between the otherwise separate brain areas. And so, this gives um, people under the influence of psilocybin or LSD the ability to have what some people describe as this 360 degree ability mm-hmm. to think and be creative. And um, some people experience synesthesia, meaning that different senses merge into one. So suddenly you smell colors or you okay. see sounds, etc. And so I think this is a, is an interesting um, a mechanism uh, that on the therapeutic side helps patients to probably see problems that they thought were, they could only look at from one perspective, from a very different perspective, and reevaluate whether they actually have the real their sense of how they perceive their problems, actually the objective way to um, see a problem. When you look at Patients that have come out of some of the studies in the U.S. and in Europe, they often describe that they found a new way to see their life, um, to see the problems, to see the path that led them to where they are. And they could also make connections to your point about creativity on how to design their life going forward. And I think that speaks to the uh, psychotherapeutic inbuilt ability of psilocybin, that patients can see a path forward that is different from the past uh, they saw before, and that's, uh, that's therapeutic in itself. Um, and so I think um, in therapy, that that is one of the neat uh, things about psilocybin. Mean, and obviously outside of therapy, other people use it differently, right? I think some of the greatest music that has ever been made uh, in the 60s and 70s <laughs> obviously. has been made under the influence of uh, <laughs> yeah. LSD. So um, yeah, clearly there's a creative um, aspect to this
0: yeah i think i once read that mick jagger and keith richards actually didn't like each other but then they went on a trip together and they were like oh let's do this great music together i mean it's a short version but that's actually it seems to be true so um but i mean since since you're coming from the the business side so um there was recently this article in the new york times saying okay vcs are ready for mushrooms basically so Obviously, right now, um, or like another article said, the the race is on with investing in psychedelics. So, and also a lot of articles said that um, some investors are turning away from cannabis because they also don't want to really support like a legalization. They rather feel comfortable with a decriminalization. So, how would you, um, for example, I think the Tim, what's his name, um, the guy from Truck Tank? Yeah, Timothy uh, O'Leary. Yeah, okay, O'Leary. They all have this (laughs) Leary thing, kind of. But um, so, how is your take on the current investor situation? How would you describe this? Is there like a hysteria? Is there like, oh God, you have to get into this? And what is the outlook?
1: Yeah, I think there's. um, That's a very good question. I think there are different investor groups that think about this very differently. Um, And I think there has been a hype building up until three weeks ago when we saw the worst market crash since the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So um, I think some of that um, irrational exuberance is hopefully gone now. Um, I think the way that we look at this is really from a therapeutic angle. And um, so the investors that we talk to are um, investors that see that there's a clear need for change in psychiatry and psychology. And um, that are excited about the uh, prospects of psilocybin therapy, uh, but also um, MDMA therapy for PTSD and um, the various forms of ketamine developed for acute suicidality, for example. And so um, they understand that the model of psychiatry will likely change in the coming five to 10 years where um, treatments will be more um as I said, more uh, kind of intermittent where you you have one experience and that improves and you work on yourself Mm -hmm. and only if you get depressed again, you come back. Um, Mm -hmm. So you're not um, hooked on a medication for life. And so um, the investors that understand that, they want to build something that is really revolutionizing mental health, um, they um, are investing on the medical side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, To your point, the run on mushrooms, I think that is... Uh, There are a lot of uh, players in the field that come out of the cannabis industry and they have seen what happened in in the cannabis market and they believe, you know, they look at um, probably the drug charts and look at uh, what drugs have the best uh, risk uh, uh, or abuse liability, uh, the lowest abuse liability, and they quickly stumble over uh, psilocybin, which is physically Mm -hmm. very safe and when given in a therapeutic (laughs) setting, also psychologically extremely safe. So um, I think that's where this is coming from uh, originally, and then there are a lot of companies that are now trying to build something in the psychedelic space. I think a lot of that is really misguided. Um, I think there are a lot of people chasing something that doesn't really exist because right now, there, with very few uh, exceptions, there are no legal um, jurisdictions where psychedelic experiences can be had. So I think, right. think that a lot of people that are now creating psilocybin-infused gummy bears um, are uh, probably uh, building a product that will not be able to <laughs> to go to market.
0: Um, just, just in so, a very few places in the world, maybe, right? I mean, just Boulder, Colorado, for example. Or... Yeah, and
1: I think even there, right? I think people make the a mistake um, to confuse decriminalization with legalization, mm-hmm. uh, which I did too in the beginning, because for me it's I'm like, okay, if it's not criminal anymore, then it must be legal. But there's a very fine distinction in that it basically means if somebody catches you with uh, the gummy bear I just talked about, um, it's the lowest uh, uh, priority of law enforcement and likely you, you're going to be let go. However, mm-hmm. on a federal level, obviously this is still you're still dealing with a Schedule One substance, so mm-hmm. it can yield a couple of years in jail. And, it. and um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, drug decriminalization. I think it's also misguided to, to just talk about, you know, decriminalizing psychedelic drugs, um, because again, not all psychedelic drugs are safe. I think that's something no, that yeah. I keep hearing that all psychedelic drugs are safe, but. Some of the most widely used psychedelic drugs, like the NBOME class, which often is confused with LSD on blotter paper, leads to base constriction, and people die on this every weekend. So um, I think it's actually dangerous to say that all psychedelics are safe. I think that, for me, when I look at um, Portugal, that's a fantastic example of what generalized uh, decriminalization can mean for people that suffer from drug addiction. Um, And it can help people to um, come out of that stigma and be able to deal with their addiction. So uh, I think that the right thing to do is to talk about more broad uh, drug decriminalization. And um, that is something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of, but that's not what we engage in as a company, obviously, because we're really focusing on developing a therapeutic model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where, how we go about this. And, and uh, yeah, I think so. There's a lot of money chasing things that don't really exist. And I don't see a model where those will exist anytime
0: soon. Yeah. That, I mean, I know what you mean. Yeah, but it's, it looks like it's almost, it's interesting. The more you read about it, the more you're under the impression of, well, it's there tomorrow. It's like, yay, you wake up on Thursday and they're <laughs> saying psilocybin is there. and But it's not, of course. Yeah, that's the big thing. But I mean, what I find interesting, though, is like, and I talked to the podcast, that's actually another thing then, too, when, when this is running. I uh, talk to Ben Sassa about it yesterday <laughs> from Bristol. Um, and that, I mean, you could think that after this whole crisis we're experiencing now, that a lot of people will actually kind of suffer from a, a certain kind of PTSD after this is over, especially when the danger is kind of over but you still feel like you're oh god I don't know I still have the anxiety in me and I'm wondering for example will I still wash my hands in this OCD way like after <laughs> this thing is over yeah. is it a good thing maybe I don't know so and I find interesting so obviously psychedelics are a new are new tools for new things that are required from us in new times so do, do you think that um, let's say fast forward like half a year later if this hopefully is fine everything and it's just kind of developed in a good direction so but still again like a lot of people will be under the influence of what they experience and not everybody is really good at that just some people are strong and they're used to this but a lot of people just are terrified to death right now even if they do everything right so do you think there will be like a I don't know let's call it meditate medication or a treatment that could be like a yeah like a psychedelic treatment for this do you think that would come out of this eventually
1: I think that is a that's a very interesting question to, to
0: think through it's a company um, basically <laughs>
1: Indeed, I mean with all major uh, major shocks to mm. human society you've always seen trauma right I think you know our yeah. parents or grandparents have been traumatized generations and that trauma is we know that it's both biologically and through behavior passed on from generation to generation mm-hmm. the effects lessen over time but clearly there's something there and I think that's one of the interesting questions to understand if um psilocybin and MDMA actually go to that epigenetic level of, uh, of trauma. And mm-hmm. I, based on the animal studies that, that have been done and have been seen, it seems that those substances have the ability to reverse uh, epigenetic trauma, which is very interesting. Right? Yeah, sure. That takes me very concretely to your point, right? You know, we don't know how bad it gets, right? I'm, uh, I, I'm a big believer of, you know, preparing for the worst and then hoping for the best. And mm-hmm. um, so I think, you know, I, I'm very... Uh, positive uh, about what I'm seeing, what uh, other players in the biotech and pharma industry are building right now and how quickly you're learning and drugs that are being repurposed. So I think within three months or so we should be on top of this uh, epidemic. But to your point people will die until then, other people will be traumatized and afraid and so if that reaches a clinical level um, I hope that within um, a few years' time, MDMA therapy will be approved. Uh, I hope psilocybin therapy will be approved um, so that uh, people can access those treatments if if they have to. Um, I think that uh, that is our objective. Um, we are very much focused on uh, broad access. Um, that's why very early on we have started to work with um, the payer organizations in Europe to make sure this is not a niche treatment only affordable for the few because mm-hmm. that's a problem that we see with the retreats, right? I,
0: sure. um, yeah. I
1: think you know Synthesis is doing an amazing job yeah. to, to create a, a, a great experience and I, I know friends of mine that have gone through it and they only speak in the highest tones about it, but it's expensive um, and my friends can afford it, but there are many people especially people that suffer from mental health problems that can't afford it yeah. and so we need to be able to generate a model that is reimbursable, so that people that need it most can afford it. And so, um, you know, when you talk about entire populations that are traumatized, then clearly then you need a model and you need to be able to make a case why such a treatment should be paid for.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, since I'm getting into this and reading more about it, my, my feeling, I mean, I, I did a podcast, it's also on you, you can listen to it, it's with, with David Bronner about... Um, his, uh, generation kind of generational trauma and, um, uh, the Holocaust. And I mean, since we, I mean, since we talked about this and talked to other people about it, whose grandparents were in the camp and it's interesting, I feel sometimes Germans are still under PTSD, the ones that did it and the ones that suffered from it, um, And I mean, it sounds like, yeah, well, now now you think everybody has PTSD, but I feel sometimes how the people react now, like the way, for example, they're shopping uh, food. It's like, to me, this is strongly related to behavior after the Second World War or in the Second World War. And I'm totally convinced that there's still some generational things that are happening now where people just put on their survival mode. And they don't even realize that they're doing it in, in the way that they kind of shop things. that they. So I really think that there is so much kind of post-traumatic stress also with Second World War. That's, I'm totally convinced. Even in a lot of Germans that are in a generation that it's young now, kind of, I feel. I think the, so,
1: uh, the, the thing about um, multi-generational trauma, it sounds so woo-woo. For most people, it's not, no. um, But when you look at the signs, um, you know, when you look at uh, early rodent models that were done, where initially to understand epigenetic changes and how they are passed on from generation to generation, it's very interesting. Just picking one example, when you you know you make a mouse fat by feeding the mouse a child that they're not usually fed with, and once that mouse is fat and has offsprings, um, the offsprings will be fat too. And they oh, were great wow. springs, irrespective of what you feed them thereafter. And so um, that was uh, one of the triggers that uh, helped people to understand that external information can be transcribed um, on the DNA level through the folding mechanisms and methylation. And so when that was discovered, also it was discovered later that once you shock a mouse, uh, for example, that, that certain behavior that the mouse, after the trauma, um expresses that that is also passed on from generation to generation, which evolutionary is a great mechanism, right? If I think about us humans, right, you walk through the woods and suddenly your tribe is attacked by a brown bear yeah, uh, and it eats two of your family members, um, you're traumatized by that event. But what it means is when you hear something in the bushes the next time, when you know we were hunters and gatherers and were roaming through the woods and you hear, heard, uh, heard something in the bushes, you were prepared to run. And yeah. so that is you know, that such mechanisms are passed on from generation to generation if we were still hunter-gatherers makes a lot of sense, but we're living much more complex lives in much more complex societies these mm-hmm. days that those adaptations don't benefit us anymore, but uh, clearly we're still naked monkeys uh, in a modern world, and so um, those mechanisms um, still express themselves in, uh, in in our behaviors and patterns, and so we see that in, uh, in trauma clearly, um, and, and there are good studies on that um, uh, that have been done in, in human populations as well, where you see some certain uh, behaviors expressed in uh, entire populations after they suffered through genocide, for example, where mm-hmm. those uh, uh, behaviors are not expressed in other populations. And so I think it's interesting to think about it. I don't think it needs to necessarily be a psychedelic experience Mm-hmm. Um, that helps people to process that I think psychotherapy can play a big uh, part in that as well but um, it's a phenomenon that not a lot of people are aware of yeah.
0: And I mean when, when do you think I mean, what is your outlook when do you think the medication will be available or what, what is the timeline that you are thinking of?
1: Yeah so we're um, a good way through uh, our face to be program and um, we um, you know, once that phase B program is completed somewhere next year, uh, we're going to into our phase three program, uh, which realistically is another two years. And, you know, there might be a hiccup left and right. You never know. Uh, we're talk, still talking about clinical trials. Um, and so realistically, I think within the next uh, four to five years, uh, we could see uh, psilocybin therapy be approved for treatment-resistant depression first and then other indications following thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rick uh, is doing a great job at MAPS. I think they could be available, at least in the U.S., uh, earlier um, with MDMA mm-hmm. for PTE, which I think is the um, uh, first class of this uh, kind of broadly psychedelic therapy, I would call it. Um, So, yeah, faster than some people think, actually.
0: Yeah. And um, do you think, what what do you think about, like, I mean, this is like, of course, the treatment-resistant thing is a very pressing thing. But, I mean, it also seems that a lot of people or more people are getting into this idea to use it as a, tool of answering big life questions even if you're like a healthy person or you're not depressed but um, maybe you are more than you think also in a way sometimes with episodes that you kind of like you said turn down as uh, play down as as, um, burnout or just exhaustion but then you realize "Hmm, it's actually maybe in the, in the experience, you realize that it's more than that, maybe. So, but what do you think about this idea to really integrate this as a regular, let's call it even lifestyle tool, like going, I mean, I'm exaggerating, now, like I going to yoga or mm-hmm. going to the gym? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, maybe
1: worthwhile to think through what what, what is the framework under which we're operating, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, sure. There's, there's the FDA, uh, there's the European Medicines Agency, and um, their clear objective is to solve unmet medical needs um, through rigorous science um, and improving drugs uh, for patients. And so that's what we engage in. Um, there are currently uh, no pathways that would allow us to develop something for, let's call it personal development or improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I Think that um, there could be another way to look at this, right? I think um, depression, addiction, OCD, anxiety, oftentimes they have biographical triggers, and Mm -hmm. it seems that patients are able to work through um, those um, biographical issues. Um, in their psychedelic experiences and so one argument that I uh, heard and I think is, is an interesting uh, one to think through is that those substances could also be used someday as a, a vaccine um, so to say to shield um, people from developing mental health disorders in the future mm-hmm. um, or after they uh, had a, um,
0: a traumatic event um, mm-hmm. so one anecdote that I heard from A Special
1: Forces uh, soldier is that in his specific unit um, people that returned from a mission um, had the opportunity to use MDMA to process uh, what they went through in that mission Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say which army but it was interesting because clearly in, in no jurisdiction MDMA is approved as a therapeutic but um, that a specific special unit uh, decided to use that treatment modality for their soldiers to prevent them from developing PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that uh, a fair uh, amount of his uh, comrades uh, was actually engaging in that when they went through a, um, a particular traumatizing uh, mission. So, you know, within maybe 10 years, uh, 20 years, uh, once this treatment. Um, has been approved and has shown efficacy in various uh, indications, uh, one could make the argument to think about using those substances in that way.
0: We're looking forward to that. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. I mean, that was super interesting. Um, I wanted to talk way more about business, but you have such an interesting um, way of talking about things that just, we have to do another one maybe very soon because... Um,